Now, when you compare the beauty of a sunset to, say, a picture of it, to the real thing, the picture just pales in comparison, in all honesty. It, it, it just lacks. You saw the difference between the picture of the Fowl River and my brother's video. You saw the difference. When you have, say, the picture or the beauty of a committed, loving, faithful, caring marriage, and you compare that to what today people call a friends with benefits situationship, well, what happens is you see in the latter people feeling disappointed or dissatisfied, people ultimately feeling used and unfulfilled. When you compare the beauty of Jesus to the things that surround us today, when you compare, as we've been looking at over the past few weeks, the beauty of his person, the beauty of his position as sovereign, when you think of, as we looked at last week, his beauty demonstrated even in our rejection of him, his beauty demonstrated in his acceptance of us, his beauty revealed in him identifying with us and displaying grace to us. When we have this beauty of the, the person of Christ and his deity as God incarnate, and you see the beauty of his person and his humanity, when you see his beauty relationally expressed, if we, if we understand this, if we see this, and if we understand this, and if we embrace this, then all the trappings that this world has to offer, all the, the false shallow promises that the world communicates, all, all of the, the the, the distracting entertainments that we are surrounded by in the world today, if, if we embrace and understand the beauty of Jesus, then all of these other things should, they should fade. They should pale in comparison. They should be, as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, should be described as dung as dung, as excrement, excuse my language, as poop, that I might win Christ. That's what should happen. So my prayer this morning, as we continue our journey in John chapter 1, is to that, that we would have our, our minds and our hearts, our, our souls and our spirits spurred and as... And, and thirsting, like the deer pants for water, thirsting for Jesus Christ. Thirsting for him who lasts to eternity. And that our souls and our spirits, that our very beings would be satisfied in him and in him alone. So let's pray as we look at the scriptures together and turn to John chapter 1 after we finish praying. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of who you are, the greatness of who you are, the sheer majesty of your glory. And this morning, I pray that you will open our eyes to behold you and all your greatness and all your awesomeness and all your magnificence. And that in viewing you and understanding what we see in you, we might, 
we might just be captivated. Our spirits might be gripped. And that we would want you over anything else. So, Father, I pray that all other things will fade away now as we focus on you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 29. And I'm going to read from verses 29 to 34. But as I was reading this, it was only the first few verses that we're going to focus on today. Okay, so John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, we read this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Let me... And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, after the testimony of John we looked at last week, the testimony of John the Baptist, and him explaining who he was, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the ways for the Lord, make his path straight. After he sits there and they ask him, are you, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. Uh, are you Elijah? No, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you that prophet? No, I'm not that prophet. I'm the voice. And as he quotes Isaiah. And so we look at the happenings of the very next day. And in the very next day, we just read these words. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, I want to just focus on a couple of things here, just very briefly. John saw Jesus. Jesus is his cousin. He knows who Jesus is, but he doesn't see Jesus. Oh, look, there's my cousin. Look, I showed you a picture on the video, my little brother. Hey, that's Frank. That's Frank. That's my little brother. It's cool. I love my little brother dearly. I don't think he still likes me calling me his little brother, but that's just the way it is. That's my little brother. But he doesn't say, that's my little cousin, or that's goody twos Jesus. He doesn't say that. He looks and he sees Jesus for who he really is. As illuminated by the Holy Spirit and confirmed by his calling, he sees Jesus for who he is. And, and it's not... You know, the sort of like thing where he goes, oh, well, it's not brushed to the side or, or considered something trivial. He goes, he proclaims boldly who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. As the herald of God's Messiah, he was the preparer of Jesus' coming. He does what his job is, and he directs all the attention of everybody around him, not to himself, but to Jesus. It's a pretty good, I guess you could say, example or a pretty good picture of what our role is as the church of Jesus Christ. And my role is not to sit there and say, look at GCC as a church 25 years on. God's greatness. Look at what we're like as a church. It's not me to sit there and say, oh man, look at our preacher. Look at our preacher. Great speaker. 
I'm not talking about me. Sorry, I'm sorry. That sounded wrong. I apologize. I'm not sitting there talking about, oh, well, look at all the uncles and aunties and the sheer amount of wisdom and the decades of people who have walked with God. Oh, we've got young people. Oh, we've got young people. Oh, young people are here. No, no, no. Our job, my job, your job is to direct people to Jesus. Simple as that. That we are to take any attention, any recognition, any acknowledgement, and as it comes towards us, to redirect it to Jesus. Because this is exactly what John does. And this is what we're going to look at. I've got one point today, and you know that the one point I have has got like 10 subpoints. But we're going to look at one point today, and what that point is, is the beauty of Jesus' purpose. The beauty of Jesus' purpose. Because this is what John does. As he sees Jesus, he says this. He says, look. I like what it says in the King James. Behold. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The imagery John the Apostle uses as he writes this, when he uses the title, the Lamb of God, is a title packed with meaning. It is packed with relevance to the Jewish people present. To all the Jewish people present, they understood exactly what the Lamb represented. The Lamb represented a life given in order to receive. I want you to hold on to that line, okay? I want you to hold on to that line. The lamb represented a life given in order to receive. And so what happens is this. This lamb represented atonement for sin. This lamb represented redemption from bondage. This lamb represented deliverance from judgment. It represented payment for offenses. It represented forgiveness of transgression, and it represented acceptance by God. For from before the law was received, even before these, these laws were set in place at Mount Sinai through Moses, this idea of a life given in order to receive goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, when you read and about Adam and Eve's transgression and, and what they have done. Thanks, Brad. When you look at Adam and Eve's disobedience, when they ate of the fruit they were told not to eat, what did they do? They hid from God, and they created for themselves a covering. You want to, you want to know what another word for covering is? Oh, no, what atonement is. Yeah, covering? Yeah. I've gotten so confused right now. But another word for covering is atonement. And so Adam and Eve, in their disobedience, tried to atone for their sin, atone for their disobedience. So what do they do? They sow fig leaves. So, 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 put it on. And the thing is this, it wasn't good enough. It couldn't cover their disobedience to God. And so what did God do? God had to give a life in order for them to receive a covering. And if you read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we read how God clothed them in the skins of animals. For him to get the skin of an animal means what? An animal had to die. Blood had to be shed. The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so what happened? An innocent life was given in order for them to receive atonement. 
what happens in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Cain is offering the life of an innocent, a lamb, a sacrifice or a life given in order to receive. What did Cain offer? Fruit and veg. You, know, you want to know why God rejected Cain and accepted Abel? Is because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There's no blood shed in fruit and veg. That was Cain approaching God on his terms, saying, this is what I want to do. I want to offer this. This is my hard work. This is my effort. This is my struggle. This is me tilling the ground. This is me digging the trenches. This is me growing the fruit and veg. I'm giving you this, God. God says, I don't want that. That's not good enough. Essentially, Cain gave him, gave God fig leaves. And that's why Cain was rejected. Why? Because a life was given in order for them to receive. So we are told this in Leviticus chapter 5, okay, about the numerous offerings and sacrifices, about the different things that people done. If you've done this, if you've done that, if you've done this, etc., etc., etc. In verses 5 and 6, we read this, when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty of any of these matters, of any of these sins, they must confess in what they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for their sin. A lamb a life given in order to receive. That's what had to happen there. In Exodus chapter 12, we give the following description regarding the importance of the lamb, a lamb whose blood had to be shed and plated, painted on the doorposts and on the lentil, a lamb whose flesh was to be cooked and then partaken of by all who were within the house. The lamb whose sacrifice provided a covering from the judgment of God as he passed over Egypt, taking the lives of the firstborn. In other words, a life given in order for them to receive. In Exodus 12, and I really like this in the King James, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Well, I'm going to read the whole thing. You're not going to read the whole thing. But this is what Moses says to the people in Exodus chapter 12, what God instructs him to say. He says, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of, the fa of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to Sorry, next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. I like this. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. To which then I then read this in verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. A life given in order to receive. It was the practice of the innocent 
for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, the pure for the corrupt. And this provided the protection from God's judgment, remembrance of his deliverance, as well as atonement for their sin. So, when John announces the Lord Jesus coming and says to the people, the Lamb of God has arrived, for every person of Hebrew descent who knows the history of their nation, who knows the history of what they have gone through, would spark within them images and pictures and thoughts of the Lamb who played a part in their deliverance from oppression, in their protection and in their atonement of their people. The theological term for these pictures are called types. They are what's called types to the anti-type. So all these pictures of the lamb in the Old Testament, they are types. Noah's Ark is a type. The, the various, I guess you could say, rituals and, and, and festivals and ceremonies, those are types, and they're all pointing to the anti-type, who is Jesus. There was a picture of the lamb in the Old Testament, a lamb in the Old Testament to become the lamb in Jesus Christ in the New Testament so that we might come to know your Lamb, the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. There is one really cool added caveat to the statement of look, the Lamb of God, that separates the anti-type, Jesus Christ, from all the types we look at in the Old Testament, and that's this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Everyone say takes away. Who takes away the sin of the world. It's not just a covering. It's not just a covering to hide something. It's a removal of. That's the difference. Who takes away the sin of the world. Read through the book of Hebrews. Somebody tell me what the theme of the book of Hebrews is. Jono. Amen. I knew he would do that. That's so good. The superiority of Jesus, or in my, I wouldn't use the word superiority because I'm not that smart. I would say Jesus is better than. That's what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is about how Jesus is better than. He is better than the angels. He is better than the prophets. He is better than the religious festivals. He is better than the systems. He is better than the Levitical priesthood. You read through Hebrews and what you see is how Jesus is better than. And in this case, Jesus is better than the Passover meal that we looked at in Exodus 12. He is better than the sin offering that we looked at in Leviticus chapter 5. Why is he better than both of those? Because he is the Passover sacrifice through which we are saved from God's judgment and delivered from sin. He is the sin offering because he is the sin offering that satisfied the payment for sin. The payment for sin is what? Death. For the wages of sin is, like you mean it, people. The wages of sin is? The wages of sin is death. And the payment for that price or the payment of that price had to be something that satisfied God, not you, not me. 
not your next door neighbor, that satisfied God. That's why he is called the propitiation for our sin. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the propitiation means that he satisfied God's requirements. He satisfied God's standards. He satisfied God's holiness. That's why he is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 1 to 4 and verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read the whole thing for you, okay? But I, I really like this. The law is, the only sh- is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Did you get that? It's a sacrifice that had to be done. It's a sacrifice, a death that happened to it by an innocent. Remember, a life given in order to receive, that happened, had to happen every year. Every year, they had to go back, do it again. Every year, go back, do it again. Every year, go back, do it again. That, that would, but they were pictures of what was to come. Verse 2, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? If, it was, if one was okay, then fine, but it had to keep going. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Verse 3, but, these, or, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible. Everyone say impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In verse 9, we read this. Then he said, here I am, meaning Jesus, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, meaning all these Old Testament sacrifices, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Thank you, John. Once for all. And it's what makes John, oh, once again, sorry. It's a life given in order to receive, where there is no longer this annual reoccurring event year after year, but whereby through trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice for my sin in Christ, we have this. That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. I remember, I remember seeing this at our, at, at our Bible college. A guy, a guy did this, and I don't have a ball. Pretend I have a ball. And he just he, he had a globe. And he sat there and he goes, why, why did the Bible not describe it as far as the north is from the south? And he sits there and he goes, okay, here I am, I'm at the North Pole. Which I'm going down, now where am I going? And we go, south. All right, let's go get the South Pole. Now I go up again, where am I going? North. That's right. And he goes, now, okay, now I'm here. All right, now I'm going west. I think this is west. Okay, so now I'm going west. Okay, I get back down to where I'm starting. Okay, now I'm back to my starting point, and I keep going. Which way am I still going? I'm still going west. Oh, I'm still going west. That's how far he has cast our transgressions from us in Christ. Never to come back again. He has taken them away. 
And I think that's absolutely amazing. See, Jesus didn't just atone and cover them over. He wiped them away, never to be remembered again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. Everyone say, no more. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You know why? Because Jesus' sacrifice paid it all. It's taken care of. It's done away with. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's gone. It's never brought back again. And that's why it's no longer necessary. I'm going to stop yelling. My wife keeps telling me I can hear you upstairs. I'm sorry. But it's why the purpose of, uh, sorry, why John's testimony of Jesus' purpose is so powerful. Because he speaks to Jesus' value over himself. He says, a man who comes after me has surpassed me. He he talks about Jesus' position over him. Why? Because he was before me as well as his willing submission to him too. He goes, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. You see, how our lives would change if we took everything we do and everything that we are as a people, as a husband or as a wife, as a child, as, as, as a church member, as an employee, whatever I'm doing, if we start bringing all of that into line with the purpose of Jesus and with the person of Jesus, how our lives would change, how our contentment would be discovered in him, how our our entertainment would be satisfied in him. If if we brought our lives in line with him, how our lives would be different, how our church would be different, how we would be different. Why? Because we are consumed with the beauty of who Jesus is above all else. And we want to cherish that and protect that and care for that with everything that we are. As husbands do so for their wives, as wives do so for their kids, as parents do so for their kids. What you're willing to do and you embrace and you hold on to and you execute that, you, you not execute that, it sounds terrible, but, but, but you want to protect that. That's, what, that's why we have to understand the beauty of Christ because then it makes all other things fade away. Uh, I, I know I've quoted it before, but what is it? With our whole realm of nature mind that we're an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is a great hymn when I survey the wondrous cross. And that's what it's communicating. It's communicating the beauty of Jesus Christ and the impact that he has on each of our lives. That we, we if we look at the beauty of Jesus' purpose, that we would like what it says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man, in talking to Zacchaeus, came to seek and save the lost. If we brought our lives into line with Jesus' purpose so that we might be about seeking and saving the lost, being concerned with the welfare of people's eternal destiny, to want to introduce to them the beautiful Savior that we know, that we would be the, the, the eyes and the ears, and, and we would be the voice and the hands and, and the feet of Jesus that, like John, points people to him who is the way, the truth, and the life. That we would be like, in, in, in the Great Commission of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, 
that you and I would, the same way as we go about making disciples of all nations, that we would once again, that we would be the eyes and the ears and the voice and, and, and the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ that, that like John points people to Jesus, who is the true vine from which life and life in abundance is experienced through how fruit is brought forth that we would bring our lives into line with that purpose. That when we look at Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, that you and I would once again, we'd be the eyes and the ears and the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus to, to love God and to love others. To, that, that we might be that and like John the Baptist, point people to Jesus who is the gate through whom we discover safety and protection and life, the place that we're at right now. That we, that you and I would be, once again, be the eyes and the ears and the, and the voice and, and the hands and the feet of Jesus that loves each other the way Jesus has loved us that as we point people like John the Baptist to him who is the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. This is what it means. This is the choice that's laid before us now because, okay, uh, we had this Connor knows. Where's Connor? Hey, Connor. Connor comes on Friday nights. This is his first time coming along to service today. So, uh, bro, give him a round. Give him a round. That's awesome. Wonderful to see you, Connor. He's really shy and he hates attention. So I've done everything that he didn't want to happen right now. So I apologize for that, brother. But what we did on, on, on Friday, we had this, this tape set up here that went all the way down. And we played that in the boat, out of the boat game. In the boat, out of the boat. And then after the game, um, Steph, who came and visited, she said, she basically gave us this, uh, this, this challenge. And she said that this is the line of decision. It's a line of decision. And she made this comment. She said, this here is the life that we're in now. The life where we look for our, our satisfaction, our desires, our, our passions. We look for those things in the world and the things that are not of God. And, and we hold on to those things. This, this is what the world offers, which leaves you empty, which leaves you dissatisfied, which leaves you disappointed. And she said, and then there's the life that God has for you in Christ. And this life of, of purpose, this life of love, this life of acceptance, this life of, 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 of joy, of experiencing relationship, of fulfilling your design. And she says, then you have this line of decision, and here's what's crazy. She says, you can't stand on the line. You're either for him, sorry, for him, or against him. There's no on the fence. There's no standing on the line. There's no on the fence in how you raise your kids of having a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. There's no on the fence in how you treat your wife or you have a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. There's no on the fence when the way you treat your husband with a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. No, it's either you're for him or you're against him. And you need to make that choice. That's the line of decision for you and where you're at and what God has called you to, and how you live for him, and what he, what he requires of you, what, and what he requires of you as his child, is that you're either for or you're against. And that's what's laid before. And, and I'm like, look, 
This, when we were talking on Friday, I was talking about salvation, but I look and I see a lot of people here who are Christians. But the challenge is still the same. The choice is still the same. It is either living for or against. Because you cannot have Jesus on your terms. Because as you, as you look, and as we looked at just this, these three verses, the beauty of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you look at the beauty of Jesus Christ and what He has done for you, you know what He gave for you in order for you to experience true life, true happiness, and true love? He gave everything. Everything He gave for you. And He asks me to do the same. And, and here's, here's, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When he asks of me to do the same, he does so knowing I will find my true fulfillment, my true joy, and my true happiness in that. I don't get a bum deal if I respond to that and say, yes, Lord, I'm for you. And that's the challenge that I leave with you this morning. Discover the beauty of Jesus and his purpose for you. Because he did everything for you so you could know joy, no happiness, no love, no life. And, and I, I leave this in your court. So allow me to pray now. And if you want to be prayed for, if you want to be prayed for, if there's something even within your heart, within, within your mind, that you know that there's something that's hindering you from experiencing the fullness of the relationship God invites you to, to, to experience the fullness of the life He promises, then please come up and let us pray. It's not going to be an instant fix. It might not be an instant fix. It might be a change. That might, you might say, okay, I've got to stop watching this. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing that or whatever it might be. But whatever it is, I pray that you will come to discover the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of God in your life as you commit all of yourself to him the way he's done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are humbled that you would, through amazing actions go to the greatest of lengths to bring us into your presence as your child. Thank you that you came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and that through trusting in you, you give us the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. There are so many things around us, Lord, that, that, that consume us, so many things that distract us, so many things that take up our time and and Father, I pray you might help us to look beyond those things to see the greatness of who you are, the greatness of your love, the greatness of your compassion, the greatness of your long-suffering towards people such as us. Thank you that you know that we are but flesh and that we are easily swayed, and yet, and yet, you are still there drawing us to yourself. I pray for the congregation, I pray for myself, that we will be consumed with you above all else that we will bring our lives into line with your purposes, with your calling, with your love. And we ask you to bring that about in us, Lord. Change us from the inside out for your glory. And in your name I ask.